This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Eagles fly on the road to victory. Bah, 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 bah. Something rhymes with victory. <laughs> hit him high, football. Hit him low, pass the ball. I don't know the rest of the We're, words. <laughs> well, obviously. Um, this is this is your Eagles fan cast flying high with Andrew and Craig. Yep, that's it. Definitely uh, we not both... overdo a podcast about the books no. you've been meaning to read. But my name is still Craig. I and I'm Andrew. I'm the Andrew. My name's Andrew. You're the um, Andrew. <laughs> so what's fun about living in Philadelphia right now is that the Eagles just beat the Vikings at the game of American football. Sure. And in so doing. They're going to the big one. Yeah. Can we say can we say its name? The big game. The big they're going to the big game on February second? Sure. I think that's the day of the big game. Ironically enough, it's in Minnesota, which is pretty great. I did see somebody on Twitter <laughs> say that technically the Vikings <laughs> will still be home for the Super Bowl. <laughs> so and uh, we're mostly we are we are telling you this because we are reporting live from just pure from unrest in the streets where people have been shooting off fireworks and honking for two straight hours. People are wearing eagles masks and running through the street shirtless. Like it's a it's something else. Uh, it's a it's a big it's a big moment because I don't like I don't care about football that much, but it's kind of neat. Like all the. All the buildings are lit up green, and like every every time you talk to anybody, like have a casual conversation with any stranger, you talk about the Eagles. Yeah, which has made me do like a very basic amount of research, so I always <laughs> at least know like who they're playing. Yes, I wish there like football as a sport didn't have so many problems. Yeah, like it's the sport with the stuff. most problems. It's got a lot of problems, but also it would be cool to beat the Patriots <laughs> at football. <laughs> okay, I'm glad, I'm glad to know where you land on this situation. Now let's talk yeah, about. Fun, books, funnily not enough, ball. That, oh, that's a it's a form of moral relativism, which is oh. something that this week's author does oh. not truck with. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, we're talking about Mr. Uh, oh, Sir Salman Rushdie, Sir Ahmed Salman knighted, Rushdie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and his book, The Satanic Verses, this was a Patreon recommendation from Ben, so thank you, Ben, uh, for causing me to read this book. If you've never listened, we don't just talk about football all show, we talk about books. One of us has read it, the other person has not, at least for this recording, and we talk about what it's about and maybe why you might have heard of it before or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Andrew, I have not read anything by Mr. Rushdie. I don't think I have, have not you either. either. Okay. No. He is a an Indian British author. He was born in Bombay in 47, I think. Mm-hmm. Now Mumbai. Yep. Um and he did study there for a little bit. He then like got a he got his like college degree or whatever the equivalent. I don't know what they if he went to uni <laughs> in England. You go to uni. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh he moved back still to still do that. Pakistan lived with his family for a little bit and then went back to England where he worked as a copywriter before becoming a world-renowned author. Yeah. A notorious author. A very notorious author, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I think. Um, He's lived in the U.S. since the year 2000. Mm. He's been married to, like, a lot of people. I only mention that because he was married to Padma Lakshmi for, like, a second in 2004. Okay. Which is sure interesting, and I wanted to mention that because I wanted to bring up that she is on an episode of Star Trek Enterprise, and she's very bad. <laughs> okay, 
Maybe um, but yeah, he worked as a he worked as a copywriter for ad, for ad agencies, including uh, Ogilvy, where he um, where's where that's where he was working when he wrote his second novel, Midnight's Children, and that was the one that um, sort of catapulted him into into being a writer. He had a novel before that called Grimus or Grimus. Sure. But um, it was mostly ignored at the time, and still, it, it's not one of those first books that finds an audience after. Like, let's go find out what he was doing in the Grimus. Right, like, I don't yeah. think Grimus has a lot of fans still to this day. Sure, yeah, it was Midnight Children, Shame in 83, I think, and then this one, uh, Satanic Verses in 88, and then a whole host mm-hmm. of other books since then. Yeah, and he's written like short stories, nonfiction, fiction. He's kind of been all, like essays. He's been all over the place. Um, and he's known, I, I think, especially in his early books, he's big into like magical realism and mm-hmm. historical fiction and that kind of stuff. I'm sure will. I'm sure that will come up. Yeah, this book um, shares some shares DNA with Midnight Children in that you know he is writing from his own experience as a man raised in India and then also living in England. And both of those books explore India's relationship with Britain um, through all sorts of characters. Uh, What a relationship it is. What a relationship it is. Uh, And what it is to be uh, an immigrant in that particular situation and and the types of changes that you go through. We'll talk about that in this book. any, any other interesting factoids before we get to like the big thing there for was, this episode? There was one thing that he said that just I was gobsmacked by the confidence on display. Mm. I'll say um, he enjoys writing, but he has said that he would have become an actor if his writing career had not been successful. And to say like if I hadn't become a writer, I would just have gone and become an actor and been good at that. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty That's good. Pretty presumptive. Well, yeah, um, I wonder he, what he yeah. was doing that that like what in his background uh that maybe we don't really know about from not like reading like a biography on him um if he did it in school or whatever, but like both of the main characters in Satanic Verses are actors uh of one in Bollywood films and one uh-huh. doing a lot of voice acting. So, yeah. Yeah, it's something he's interested in and he has he has used his writerly fame to become like somebody who does cameos in in things didn't Um, he appear on curb your enthusiasm yeah i was gonna say he was in bridget jones's diary briefly the movie based on the book that we read a a few months ago and then yeah he was on this most recent season of curb your enthusiasm because larry david has a fatwa issued against him and so i guess he just consults with Salman Rushdie about how to deal with that whole situation, which segues into our next thing, I think. Yeah, so this book, uh, not only being notable for being a runner-up for the Booker Prize and and winning one or two other prizes, um, it was within like weeks of its publication, it was banned in several countries. Like you couldn't import it into India. Um, you still you still cannot import it into India. Like really? to this day, you cannot. Oh, wow. Now, now having it is not illegal, and you can just download it now. But it is still illegal to import Satanic verses. There into were India. there were copies burned in the United Kingdom. Um, it's like eight or nine other countries also issued bans on it. Um, there were bomb threats to U.S. bookstores. There were bombings of bookstores in England. Um, and there was a riot in Pakistan in 1989, mm-hmm. and shortly after that, the Ayatollah Khomeini uh, issued a fatwa on Salman Rushdie, which called for his murder. Yep. And, <laughs> and the, this is like a big deal. This it's is a huge deal. It, um, so this this particular fatwa, like it was, it like broke diplomatic relations between iran and the uk yep like Mm -hmm. so this book came out in 88 i believe relations diplomatic relations were suspended in uh, march of 89 and they were only reopened in 1998 after the government of iran said it would publicly said it would neither like assist nor like deter people from trying to assassinate 
Salman Rushdie. Yeah, so Khomeini <laughs> um, died only which a is not few funny. Months. It's only funny in so far as it's just completely it's, wild that yeah, it happened. Yeah. yeah. So Khomeini uh, died several months, I think, after issuing the fatwa, and you can't. Which is still, it's still out though. Like, yeah, it's you never can't been take it back. Res- yeah, right. Only he can take it back, and he's dead, so it's still there. Um, and it also extended to anyone who helped uh, publish the book. So while the British government like took measures to protect Sam Rushdie. Um, there were several politicians in the UK that were not a fan of him, um, but an Italian translator was stabbed. A Norwegian publisher was shot. They yeah, both and survived. The, the Japanese translator of the book was killed. Was in, killed um, in 1991. 91, yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's the it comes down to. It doesn't come down to anything. It's actually a huge thing. We can't boil it down. Um, <laughs> there, we'll talk a little bit later as we cover what's in the book. There is a character or a, a series of like kind of narrative, parallel, a parallel narrative that is loosely based on uh, the Prophet Muhammad of the Islamic religion and and faith and traditions, uh, and. It, <sighs> There are depictions in the book that go against what is considered. Like, yeah, true. like there, there's there's a big list of stuff. We'll talk about the main like central thing that the title is about. I think when we start talking about the book itself, but just yes. to throw an example out there, there is a brothel in the book where all the prostitutes have the same names as Muhammad's wives. Like yes. that's the kind of stuff that he's doing. That and, and it was flagged by the publisher before it came out. You know, this is probably going to make some people upset, but they. You know, they acknowledged that and were aware of it, but just had no idea it was going to 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 go to the lengths that it did. Yes. Um, in prepping for the show, I found, you know, critiques of the fatwa, obviously from a human rights and freedom of speech standpoint. There are also like uh, from within the Islamic jurisprudence discipline the fact that he was not allowed to like publicly defend himself against his accuser that it called outright for his death without a trial folks mm-hmm. were critiquing um there's yeah some... that's usually not like great no I think. there's uh there's a lot of scholarship on the political the like political moment of the late 80s in iran and iraq tensions and and what the ayatollah might have been doing by like capitalizing on outrage about this book well because this is during the in in america this is during the george hw bush administration and and leading up to like desert storm there's like a lot of a lot of middle eastern stuff always always happening yeah um so there are there's a lot of different reasons why this happened and there are a lot of folks who think that the outrage over these parts of the book uh, were coming predominantly from folks who didn't read the rest of the book. I'll get into that as we as we talk about like what the book is about because I don't think it's not about the things people were upset about, but I think it's also trying to be about a bunch of other stuff because um, it's like a five hundred page book and. I think the stuff that folks are got really upset about is like maybe a fifth of it. If, right, if you look, yeah. if you're looking at like raw word count or page count, um, so yeah, it's it it kind of sh- became immensely popular from a sales perspective because it was causing international incidents, <laughs> um, which is I don't know that that's a thing you plan on doing. Can we make our podcast cause an international incident? I don't want anyone to die because of our podcast. Can we like I I know I want to stop like a level below anybody dying. But can somebody like very forcefully condemn something in a way that makes other people more interested in hearing what it was that we said? So like could we take a stance on like a food that would upset people? Yeah. Oh, pineapple pizza is garbage. That's not true. (laughs) pineapple pizza hawaiian pizza is blasphemous against all religions oh my god and it's terrible it's a hot circle of trash you caused an internal incident to this podcast i like pizza i like pineapple i don't want them never the twain shall meet my friend 
I'm don't willing, let him touch. I'm willing to concede that subpar pineapple pizza is very bad because the See, juice See, the thing about that is crust. that all pineapple That's, pizza is subpar. Oh, so. get away. We got to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about this book. All right. I'm eating pineapples right now. <laughs> Andrew, I love TV. I love the part where it comes out every week. But what if books did that too? Ooh, what if books came out every week? Books do come out every week. But what if one book came out every week, like a week at a time? Is I, that what you're asking? That's what I'm asking. Is there a service okay. that will do that for me? Lucky lucky for you, as you may have guessed, there is a service that will do that. We are supported this week by the folks at Cereal Box. Now that is Cereal, S-E-R-I-A-L box it's a play mm. on words get it um npr has called them the hbo of reading i like that okay <laughs> which i'm not sure what that means but cool um i would like to be called the hbo of something someday um they bring you gripping stories written by best-selling and award-winning teams of writers um and new episodes are released every week so you uh can read or listen to all these little serialized novels um at no extra cost it's kind of cool yeah, it's they, like how in the old days when books used to be released one at a time in like journals and stuff. Yeah, and if you subscribe to it, you get like a discounted rate for the text and audio versions of all the new episodes. You can listen to them in their app or on their website um, or download them and like put them on whatever device you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you download your app, you can also uh, download the Serial Box app and it will let you switch from listening to reading like on the fly, which is Oh, that's neat. pretty cool. Yeah, so I like if that. you're in a, if you're in your car driving, you can be listening, and then when you get out and you go in and you're like sitting at your desk and you don't want to work because <laughs> because you screw got the man because you got you cereals to to eat with your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Uh, I I hear from their website that uh, most of the episodes take about forty minutes to enjoy, which is not that long. That's pretty good. Um, they, shorter than our dumb thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, they have a new series that's launching called False Idols, uh, which is coming out January thirty first. Excuse me. Um, and it tells the story of Layla Eldib, an FBI agent who is selected to go undercover as an art collector in her hometown of Cairo. She infiltrates the highest echelons of society in order to stop the flow of money to terrorists from illegal art and cultural property theft and sales. And when her and when her troubled past and growing feelings for an art dealer's son begin to complicate her judgment, she struggles to differentiate her undercover identity from her true self. Ooh, that sounds like it has everything. It has love. It has... Art Law thieves. enforcement, it has art. Yeah, it's it's the whole package. So what do I need to do so that I can get this and find out more, Andrew? All right, you and all of our listeners can get a discount on any first season of a Serial Box series uh, by going to SerialBox.com. Again, that's S-E-R-I-A-L box. Um, and enter the promo code OVERDUE18. Um, that's S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com. Code is OVERDUE18 to get a discount on any first season of a Serial Box series. Week to week, story to story, sign me up. Okay, Craig, we're back. Jeez, you got me. You surprised yeah. me. Haha, sprung it on you. All right, so we're going to, I assume, talk about the bits of this book that were controversial, but as you mentioned before, there's like a whole four-fifths of it that is not that. <laughs> yeah. So what is the book? What's the Satanic Verses about? So the Satanic Verses... It opens with this line, to be born again, first you have to die. It it is a book about transformation, uh, which I alluded to in the first part of the show. Like uh, The two main characters, uh, Gabriel Farishta and Saladin Chamcha, uh, who's born Salahuddin Chamchawala, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, They are both actors born in India who, for different reasons that I'll get into, both end up living in England for extended periods of time, and they undergo like a series of uh, transformations and changes that have to do with like how they relate to their homeland, how they assimilate into uh, English society, and uh, the people that they meet along the way are also undergoing a lot of those, like are go- living those stories as well. There's mm-hmm. they end up in what I think is Brick Hall is the area in London that is referred to multiple times. I'm just checking my notes to make sure that that's true. Yeah, Brick Hall. Um, 
and there is a large immigrant pop- population there from you know we're in it's i don't think it's takes place in like not the 80s like it jumps around a little bit but it seems to be mostly contemporaneous in a lot of its like pop culture references okay so and, it's not it's not covering like this a long span of time no it, it it'll jump back and like talk about you know when these characters were younger so maybe that's the 40s or 50s um but we are post world war ii for most of the book and we are uh you know post british rule of india um so these folks are we're dealing with britain after its empire is gone right okay and like mm-hmm. it reminded me of elements of white teeth by zadie smith that i read maybe almost a year ago now um which is obviously a more recent book dealing with these themes but a, a lot of the same like folks now living in the united kingdom who who are from parts of the world that britain colonized and like what is it to still be british or not or be from that country or not or like feel like you are or not Mm -hmm. um and one of the characters uh gabriel is he is an unbeliever he's a he's a bollywood movie star who uh makes his living primarily doing what are called like theological films where he portrays all manner of like deities like his big break is that uh, he portrays a character uh, with an elephant for a head and like no none of the stars would take it so he gets it and becomes very popular and he uh, kind of has this you know his career blows up um, and he he has this like incredible sickness that like debilitates him and and uh, prevents him from making a bunch of f- films for a period of time and he has this like falling out with religion like what it's a kind of a classic like why would this happen to you situation sure um and it culminates in him like walking into a hotel party and like eating all of the pork off of a table like stuffing (laughs) himself and obviously it's like very blasphemous (laughs) and uncomfortable for everyone right but it sounds like a like a jim belushi movie yeah it's and that's that gets to some of the vibe of the book it as you alluded to there's magical realism throughout the book and i think part of that when you can do that part of what you're doing is you're not only allowing magical things to happen but you're also setting up a tone where like just big events can happen or kind of outlandish events can happen i think Um, i confuse my belushi's I always confuse my Belushi's. I got my Belushi's mixed up. Uh oh. John, John. Not Jim. Belushi. Yeah. I meant like a sort of an animal house sort of party. Sure. Party vibe and you go and you get drunk and you eat all the pork. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down with that. Okay. I do that. I go to that party. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he believes he's punished for this event. He starts having visions and dreams that he's kind of tortured by where he may or may not be an incarnation of the archangel gabriel sure or gabriel which is here we hit one of our many points of (laughs) blasphemy (laughs) yeah that got rusty in trouble yeah so he you know the name is deliberately the same thing he has a different name i think it's ismail at the beginning of the book and and he takes gabriel frishta as his stage name when he starts working um but yeah he is not sure and he Later in the book is diagnosed with schizophrenia. So, like, over the course of the of the novel, you are questioning whether or not these, like, religious episodes that he's experiencing are real or not. Sure. Um, whether or not they are visions. And, and at a certain point, does it matter if the vision is, like, quote, objectively real, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if it's, if it's causing behavior, if it's causing him to do things... Um, does it matter if it's like measurably real? Um, the other main character is Saladin Jamcha, as I said, and he is uh, a voice actor by trade living in England who is estranged from his family back in India. Um, his He never really, he doesn't, like he goes away to school in England and then kind of adopts a bunch of British mannerisms and values and some resentments of his home country and uh he is estranged from his father after his father remarries a woman 
much like his late first wife, uh-huh. which is like played oh, again, like they have the same name. She kind of looks the same and Saladin can't hang with that. Like he's, he's not here for that. Mm-hmm. And he has a wife in England named Pamela who is so like super British. Like she has like, when we meet her, her accent is described as like being like extra posh and just kind of over the top. And she is attracted to him because he is foreign and he is attracted to her because she is British. Um, but their marriage isn't good. <laughs> like, no, because that's, those shallow. are both garbage reasons to be attracted to somebody. I mean, yeah. to be attracted to somebody for that reason is fine, but you better find something else pretty quick. Yeah, we don't see the something else. And, and it's the reasons are portrayed as kind of very internally motivated. Like, I am not comfortable with this thing about myself, so I'm seeking the opposite in someone else. Of course. Um, Very healthy thing to do. So Saladin and Gabriel both find themselves on a plane to London that gets hijacked by some Sikh nationalists. And there's this like long section where they spend like literally three months in the plane, like grounded somewhere in like a hostage situation, which is a long time. That's a long time to be on a plane. I don't even like to sit on a plane for half an hour if I it's don't a know. Lo- like, it's like a hundred days they spend there. And eventually the the woman in charge of the, the terrorist outfit is just like, we got to do so- This is going on too like, this long. sucks. <laughs> and she just kills someone like straight up. And so they get the plane and they take, they fly it out of there. Like, I don't know how that works. It's not really explained. Like they were on a runway somewhere. And then they just manage to take off, even though there's surely like police all around them. But well, and if they're sitting there, like you're not even supposed to let your car sit for more than a couple <laughs> weeks without running it. Like you can't just let gas like sit in a tank like that and then have it still work fine. No. It's like you have really... you ever like if you've ever taken the lawnmower out after a long winter and tried to start it up? Like it might start, but it's gonna be pretty bad. Well, things don't go great, so they fly. For b- because of the reasons like the 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 gas related things that I said, or for other reasons. For other reasons, but you're like spiritually in the right place. Like okay, cool. That's, um, I feel like that's important for this particular book. Yeah. So they end up over the English Channel, and the meanwhile, like Saladin and Gabriel have kind of gotten close. Gabriel's been telling everybody all about these like dream visions he's having about being the Archangel Gabriel. And everyone's kind of weirded out by it. They don't really know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, And then, like, the terrorists have a disagreement and the lady starts killing some of her own people. And then the bombs that she has, like, on her explode. And so this is actually how the book opens, which are the two men falling through the sky together, uh, presumably as the only people who are going to survive this plane crash. Uh, and on the way down, Gabriel sees a vision of like a woman that he used to have a relationship with that he like stepped out on Uh and she becomes this ghost that haunts him throughout the book. Most of the characters have, have some ghost or another that they see regularly, uh, that haunts them from their past. And if you're going to have a ghost from your past haunt you. Like and it wouldn't have to be a person. It could just be like a decision you made or something. Mm. What would it? What do you think it would be? Mm, that's a good question. And you can think about it for a while because I don't think I have an answer ready to go right now either. <laughs> but I'm just wondering if a near death experience made you see a ghost from your past. I wonder what it would be. Oh, like a serious one or like a goof troop one? It's like the, we do a comedy book podcast, so you decide which one fits better. I, I don't guess. know why now I'm just thinking about like the imaginary friend dog that I had. Because I feel like I might end up in like a drop dead, drop dead Fred situation where the dog is mad that I stopped hanging out with him. Ooh, like what if inside out, but the elephant was really mad. Yeah, and could like materialize in your real life and be like, why did you stop hanging out with me? I've been Ooh, here the whole time one. watching I like you. I like that one. Yeah, that might be the thing that I would hallucinate as I was falling from a exploding plane, let's uh-huh. say. Um, 
So mine would probably be okay. the time that Susanna was out of town, and instead of eating real food, I just throughout the course of the day ate an entire Sara Lee key lime pie. You'd be haunted by the pie, yeah, or or would it, be an image of Susanna perpetually throwing that pie in the garbage. No, 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 no. It would be the pie. Okay. Like Susanna was was not like mad. But not impressed either. It was some, some emotion <laughs> in between. Okay, that's good. But the pie would be like, like I represent all your impulse control and poor decision making. Oh yeah, and you're, that's a thing to be haunted Issues. by for sure. sure. Yes, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. So miraculously, they don't die. They like plummet out of the sky and they they find themselves in midair and they're like singing together and like flapping their hands. And miraculously, they like almost land as if on a cloud into the water uh, near London. Okay. And right after they land, there are implications that Gabriel has taken on sort of a glow and that there's something bumpy on Saladin's head. Uh oh. So here's where we get into some of the imagery that maybe people don't love in this book. Uh-huh. Um, Gabriel does start behaving like and uh, effectively becoming the Archangel Gabriel, he thinks. So Is this like a Santa Claus situation no, where the old Archangel Gabriel died? No, it's not even really explained why it's happening. Um, and then you get a little like implication that something bad is happening to Saladin so that his transformation is actually more specific so they wash up on the shore of this lady Rosa's house and she brings them in and it's like what are you doing here this is private property and they kind of explain their miracle to her and she's not quite sure what to do with it so she brings them in and someone reports like suspicious men having been on the beach and the police show up thinking it's illegal immigrants and they only take Saladin. For some reason, they only capture him. Gabriel is like standing on the stairs just out of their lights. And this moment where Saladin is like yelling for, to Gabriel for help and Gabriel does nothing is like the thing that motivates Saladin through the rest of the book. Uh-huh. Because what happens is that Saladin is taken by these police and is like beat up in their van. And as this is happening to him, he realizes that his legs have become like furry and terminate in hooves and that he has horns growing out of his head and that he has the beginnings of a beard and like his torso's getting furry also. He's basically becoming a goat man. And the cops are like, teasing him like they're not like whoa here's a goat guy (laughs) like they're already treating him like garbage because he's not a white person right cool yeah i'm glad okay fine so there's that going on great and he's taken to this hospital um for like care because they beat the crap out of him and it is he learns that other people at the hospital are also like human hybrids like some of them one guy has like a like a cheetah head or something and then one woman is like part glass and another person is which part i (laughs) i don't maybe her lungs i don't remember um but the implication is not no it's explicitly said uh that they take on these qualities because of how they are described and by the police and by the people running this hospital. So, like, the xenophobia begets physical change in these people. And okay. they have to, like, escape. They mount an escape from this hospital. Um, but, of course, uh, Saladin's transformation does not go away. It, like, God. gets worse and worse. Like, so imagine it, if your physical form, like, hinged on other people not being racist. That would be iffy yeah it's rough and and it's it it begets more othering right uh-huh like um very kafka-esque in that way uh to use kafka-esque nice. in, in a way that's not ironic <laughs> 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 and 
he ends up trying to go visit his wife, Pamela, who thinks he's dead. So, like, Pamela thinks that Saladin's dead, and Gabriel had this, uh, like, three-day affair with a woman named Alleluia Cohn, who is this, uh, like, white European lady who climbed Mount Everest, um... And he has, like, an affair with her, and then she he is flying to London to be with her. He is, like, leaving his film career behind uh, as a Bollywood star to go be with her because maybe that's going to, like, help him deal with his, his like, archangel dreams and, and all sorts of stuff. Sure, and I bet it goes great. Both, you know, both of these situations go very bad because <laughs> Pamela... Um, they both have presumed these men dead because they were trapped on that plane for three months, and then also the plane they were on blew up in the sky um so then pamela has been sleeping with another guy whose name is jumpin joshi uh it's like a nickname that he can't shake yeah wow that also sounds like something you'd (laughs) yell if you were surprised (laughs) yeah and he actually for a couple of reasons that have to do both with i think with like guilt and actual like wanting to have kinship with saladin like tries to help him out and takes him to this like b&b that his neighbors run and they're a Bangladeshi family that is that is also facing some uh like they're facing racism within their community their daughters are first generation uh in the sense that they don't revere their homeland of Bangladesh but they mm-hmm. aren't fully british um well at least they're not white anyway uh and so he's living in their attic, like slowly becoming more of a devil monster. And the daughters are like super into it mm-hmm. and try to help him. His breath is real stinky. Like at one point, uh, the dad tries to like suggest bringing a priest in and he just like full body farts. Like it's not explained where the gas comes from. He just emits just a gas cloud of anger that fills the whole attic. And then he's like, oh, sorry about that. I was just so worried about... We're back in John Belushi territory. (laughs) So he is this, like... It is played for tragic comedy, right? Like, he has been othered to a point of, of, you know, being a beast. Um, And people in the community start finding out about him because they start dreaming about him. And he's not really in charge of why. (laughs) They just, like, see him in their dreams. And Darlene, so, Darlene, I had the weirdest <laughs> dream last night about this horrible fart monster. And and so he is literally supposed, you know, he's supposed to be a form of Satan. And it's unclear if he is like a fallen angel or if he is just evil personified in some way, shape or form. And, you know, pe- he's become this like meme in people's dreams and they start like have like they start buying like plastic goat horns that they wear around. Uh and meanwhile, Gabriel is trying to have a relationship with this woman, uh, Alleluia, who he refers to as Ali. Yes, of course, her name is Alleluia, because, uh, of course, Sir Rushdie, <laughs> you got to be on the nose a little bit. Uh-huh. And his his relationship with her is tough because he gets very jealous of her very easily. Um, he's also dealing with the guilt of the woman he was with before who killed herself after she found out that he was having that he was sleeping around on her Mm -hmm. um and he's also having these you know delusions of grandeur that may or may not be real and multiple times like disappears out into london only to have like some big i am the voice of god episode uh at one point deciding that london needs to be like purged and the, all the weather needs to change because they're like kind of middle of the road weather is creating a moral, a quote, moral fuzziness. Um, what when, is, okay, sure. When the day is not warmer than the night, when the light is not brighter than the dark, when the land is not drier than the sea, then clearly a people will lose the power to make distinctions and commence to see everything from political parties to sexual partners to religious beliefs as much the same, nothing to choose, give or take. I guess so I get that. He, I guess that, that makes sense to me. And he may or may not cause a heat wave that happens in London for, for a few weeks. Who knows? 
right? The the from his perspective, it he's definitely the cause of it. But then of course he like collapses and finds himself on her doorstep yet again, uh-huh. um, and in need of of treatment for his mental health. So those stories are going on. Saladin eventually starts to uh, try and enact revenge on Gabriel for what has happened to him. His hate gets so strong that he actually turns back into a regular man. Um, but then, like, it's almost like he's Iago. He No, it's literally referenced that he is similar to Iago from Othello and, like, sets off on a course to, not like... Not from Aladdin. Correct. Not a okay. parrot. All right. Um, he sets off on a plan to, like, ruin... Perhaps kill, but then like dial it down to ruin Gabriel's life, particularly his relationship with Ali. Um, and this is happening against the backdrop of racial tensions in this community that like bubble over into like a big riot. Um, but so that that's like the I guess you would call the objective reality of this book, like the the main meat of the story, which is how are these folks from India uh, treated after this cataclysmic event that that changes them both literally and figuratively and how they, you know, how their lives intertwine and come back together, right? Yeah. The, the parallel story are a series of chapters that are meant to be the dreams that Gabriel is having um, because he appears in them almost as he says like an actor in a film like he he knows what part he's playing they reference him as a messenger or voice of god different characters talk to him um and then later in the book he actually tries to turn them into films and they like fail um but when you read them in the context of the book they are just presented as here's just a a, another part of the book with new characters and there are three main plot lines, I think. And this is the stuff in the book that made a lot of people upset. Like, okay, they're, they're just the naming of the characters upset people, of course, right? Because, like, Gabriel is this Bollywood uh, Don Juan mess of a guy. And that he's also named after an archangel. Um, you know, there are other characters that share names that, like, people who don't want that. You know, I don't know. I, I've watched an interview with Rushdie where he was like, I mean, I could name a person Gabriel. Like, that's just a name now. And those yeah, people are one, good or not. <laughs> one of the things he has said in response to the threat against his life was that uh, he says, I wish I had written a more critical book. <laughs> like, the 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 implication being, like, if it was going to cause this much trouble, I wish I had intended for it to do so instead of just accidentally, like, incidentally making people yeah so so because he is he is you know he he was originally a muslim but is now an atheist and um and and yeah i i would think like i think anybody who's sort of drifted away from their religion has a lot of stuff to say about that particular religion because of their familiarity with it Um, yes so he has said that these stories are in particular for him they're interested in the question of revelation what what is it for a new idea to come into the world the person who possesses that idea can they battle through weakness um and when they have strength to enact that idea will they be good or will they be cruel mm-hmm. um and most of these uh, i think all three of these encounter those questions in some way shape or form and rushdie also likes to point out that they are in the dreams of a not of a of a person having a crisis of faith also having a crisis of like mental stability right so he likes to toss that out there as as like hey i'm not i'm not just like here to dunk on a religion like i'm here to explore these questions through this character right yeah like he's, uh, um, he's not intending it to be like blasphemy for the sake of blasphemy. I think it's like blasphemy for the sake of trying to say something, right? Yeah, and and he is like, or also, at least, or at least in large part, it is that. <laughs> from my point of view, I I believe that's true. Um, so the first story is about a guy named Mahund, um, who is very similar to the Prophet Muhammad. Um, he is never referred to as Muhammad, 
Um, yeah, but I read that like British reviewers did not get that he was supposed to be Muhammad because the name was different. Which is, I don't, I don't know how you miss that. <laughs> like I think. Uh, also, I, I, mean, I I think you just missed that by being utterly unfamiliar with cultures other than your that's, own, which was that's, probably easier in the '80s than it is now, and plenty of people are that way now. That's so. fair. Mahund actually, some people have taken issue with it because it was used as a name for the Prophet Muhammad by like Western right. writers and, and theologians. You're not, to, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, you're not supposed to call him that. Um, and he's in this city called Jahilia. Uh, which is like a stand-in for Mecca, even though it's never referred to Mecca. And Jahiliya means in like Arabic, uh, like the the state of ignorance or something. And and it has been used as a word to describe like the Arab world before the advent of Islam. Sure. Um, and so this story is about a guy named Mahund who believes in a monotheistic tradition and is trying to get it off the ground in this polytheistic culture. Um, and his religion ended up being called the religion of submission, like submission to the one God. Again, okay. if you have heard of Islam, there's a lot of stuff here that seems similar. Uh-huh. And um, I also, I, I, one of the things I did in my research is like, I know what the satanic verses are. So when you're ready to talk about that, yes. I can jump in and be helpful instead yes. of, a hindrance. <laughs> no, you've been fine. Um, we could actually... We, <laughs> Glowing review. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, we can actually get to that right now because the the big thing that people take issue in, this is the title of the book also, right, is this part of the story of the prophet and also the story of this character Mahound um, are these verses that he gets from God or wherever he's he's getting... Uh, his his speeches from right, um, mm-hmm. that is part of like a bargain with the city. So, what did you find about what the satanic verses are? Yeah, so um, supposedly, or like you know, in the in the tradition, it's a few verses that are spoken by uh, the prophet as part of the Quran, and um, and they're about. Um, wor- the, they're about like worshiping some goddesses related to like the Meccan tradition, like the bu- like the pre-Islam tradition. Yep. Um, and the the controversy is that the prophet then retracts those verses because he says, "Oh, it was it was the devil who sent them to like deceive me and and you." Yes. Um. And yeah, so so the name, the actual name, the Satanic verses is not like that comes from Western scholars of Islam. Like that's not originally, like that's not their name originally. Yes. Because um, if they if they were that, it would imply that at any point in time, part of the Quran had been written by Satan, which is right. a blasphemous idea, and mm-hmm. and or that the a prophet is uh, fallible, which is also a blasphemous idea. Yeah, so you, yeah, so you got that. You've got um, polytheism instead of monotheism. Yes, and then to just to throw into the <laughs> one of the one of the wrenches that Rusty throws into the whole procedure is that um, these satanic verses supposedly come from Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel, instead of the devil. Yes, and mm-hmm. that and that is like the character that you're reading who doesn't know why he's in this world in the past is like just kind of improving and like causes this to happen. Uh, so then Mahound and his followers flee after some bloody battles and return 25 years later, having established their submission uh, religion. Um, and he comes back to conquer the city and there's two things here that people have taken issue with. One is that, you know, there's a priestess and a, and a poet who both oppose him. The poet is one who ends up like hiding in a brothel where 12 women end up married to him and they take on the names, you know, 12, 12 prostitutes, and they take on the names of the, the Mahoud's wives. Um, kind of to like process what's going on in their city as it like 
transitions into being taken over by this new religion. Um, like the brothels are allowed to be kept open so that people can kind of like, they're going to do, there's like a bit where it's like, they're going to do it anyway. We kind of need to like take baby steps. Yeah. As right. We, like, and, and there's in most of the big world religions, if you go back far enough, you find a lot of instances where they, Instead of telling people, hey, you can't do this thing you've always done, they just they take it and they put another name on it or yep. they attach another meaning to it. Like early Christianity is full of this kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and so obviously folks who are reading this book don't like that part where the where these names that are that are part of the tradition are ascribed to prostitutes. Uh, also, there is a character who is a follower of Mahound, who's the scribe, who is when Mahound goes out and he you know, communes with the archangel and he comes back with another teaching or he comes back with another rule. Uh, the scribe is tasked with like writing it down and basically creating the equivalent of the Quran uh, in fiction of, of this book. And he's like deliberately changing stuff to test the prophet Mahound and Mahound doesn't catch him. And like later it is shown that like that was a test from Mahound. But in the moment, it, it is this idea <laughs> that uh, it's this idea that the prophet is fallible, which people don't like, uh, of course. Um, yeah, it's pretty weird. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, if you what if you take a test in school and you get all the answers wrong and you get it back and you get an F and then you go up to the, the, the teacher after class and you're like, hey, I was just testing to make sure you knew what you were talking about. <laughs> Like obviously, I this is not representative of what I know. Yeah, it's so. A messy, can I have my A, please? It's a messy thing, um, <laughs> and and so people are not a fan of. And the other big thing that I could see rubbing people the wrong way is it does like set up the idea that perhaps some of the teachings are uh, opportunistic. Um, multiple t- multiple times Mahound is, is referenced as like already being like wanting to do a thing and then some of his followers disagree with him and then he like goes and talks to the archangel and turns out the archangel has his back like that's not a thing that you want to hear if that is anything similar to your religion right mm-hmm. that that is not great um, so that's that's a big that's a big recurring story that happens. There's uh, another major story that happens a couple times. That's a woman, Aisha, uh, or Aisha, um, who is and shares a name with one of the uh, one of Muhammad's wives, who leads this pilgrimage uh, to Mecca from a small town, and it's kind of portrayed as this fool's gambit she has lain with the arch the archangel gabriel in a, in a presumed sexual manner nice and she's had a vision that she needs to take all these people uh to mecca which involves crossing the arabian sea on foot which is not possible and she promises that if they are true believers god will open the ocean for them kind of moses style and the leader of this town, his wife is wrapped up in this, and, and he's very concerned that she's going to die because, uh, you know, he had some impure thoughts, and now she has a terminal illness. And he's like, how are you going to go on this pilgrimage with this terminal illness? Uh, this, like, prophet girl is going to kill my wife and all these people. Um, and it doesn't go great. Like, people walk into the ocean, and they all claim, you know, if you... they. As it's happening, they claim that they saw it happening, but then like bodies start washing up like on the shore uh-huh. afterwards. So a portrayal of a false prophet that shares a name with a char- uh, you know a, a person from scripture like that's not great. Uh-huh. Um, and then the last one, and this was actually a passage that Rushdie would like read it at some readings around the book is like seven or eight pages about an exiled imam. Um, who calls upon Gabriel, the character in the book, as this angel to take him to Jerusalem and like do battle with a woman who has like displaced him uh, as the leader of uh, that part of the world. And it ends with this imam having, quote, grown monstrous, lying in the palace forecourt with his mouth yawning open at the gates. As the people march through the gates, he swallows them whole. Um is apparently is an allusion to the Parisian exile of Ayatollah Khomeini before he took over in Iran. And uh, he spent some time 
uh, I think in Nepal and then was in Paris and uh, eventually came back in, I think, 78 uh, and, and then took over Iran. So I don't know if Khomeini read that passage. Certainly people knew about it. I'm sure he had somebody like describe it to him. Yeah. So I bet it, nobody comes out of that passage looking like a good person. Like it, it, it's just kind of, I don't know. It, no, it's weird. Like the person... <laughs> the the guy who eats people alive doesn't come out of that looking good that's yeah weird. it's like larger than that you know than life leaders who are both political and almost supernatural kind of taking advantage of their actual like citizens or followers or whatever it might be mm-hmm. uh, to assert their own power um and gabriel the character is just kind of caught up in it not really sure what's going on yeah that that doesn't look good i don't think i did find that Khomeini, apparently before he came back to Iran, there was this rumor that all sorts of folks had seen his face in the moon that, like, presaged some sort of, like, supernatural reason for his return or, or like, okay. a, a premonition of his return. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like this passage is, is wrapped up in that. And, and, yeah, it doesn't... I could... Hmm, I could see being mad if you thought that was about you. Not maybe not like issuing a fatwa mad. Not but. like I want everybody who can hear this to kill the person who said this mad. Like I'm trying I'm struggling to think of a thing that would justify getting that mad that yeah. was not Hawaiian pizza related. Sure. That's mm-hmm. true. Um so yeah, I, I don't know. It feels like Rushdie wants some of this stuff to be kind of ironic in, uh, I feel like the critiques, the explicit critiques of real world things in like how Britain is very poorly equipped to assimilate like new people in a way that helps which is them kind of ironic i guess yeah which like helps them given the rate at which they assimilated new yeah, people for a yeah. while in there and, and the the trials and tribulations that go along with like how do you both honor where folks have come from when you actually like went into their house and took over their crap and now like you're bad at them for wanting to now like live where some of the resources are that went after you took it from their countries um there's a line in the book about like all of britain's and uh, this is not about like World War II, but about like its colonial issues. Like all of its issues were were not in its own house. Um, so now it is going through some intense growing pains, and you obviously see that in a lot of the political turmoil today as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that stuff is really way more specific, uh, like a dig and a critique, at least personally to me, than some of the the other passages that that obviously sparked such alarm though at the time and certainly if it were released now like he's made statements like you couldn't release this book now um there was a perception that the book was playing into western anti-islam sentiments um like purposefully in a way that was meant to cause discord and i I, rishti would not own to that but folks obviously made that argument Yeah, yeah sure um the some of the stuff that moved me that moved me in the book were like where you have some of these characters maybe not even main characters talking about what they've either lost or struggled to hold on to during these moves and these transitions so the guy who runs the B&B where they keep Goatman Saladin um his name I think the family is is the Sufyans and his wife uh when they were married and living in Bangladesh, like she supported him. He was a teacher. They didn't have a great marriage, but she took care of the house and she, uh, he had a distinguished teaching career, but then he gets involved in politics in particular, like communist party activities and they move to England. And she's upset that now she's in this place where he doesn't have kind of community standing anymore. Um, and she's given up her home and her family for running a, a B&B, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. even though they 
lived in like a teacher's flat back home. It was still theirs. It was still with people that they knew. Um, and then this also struck me. Worst of all, there was not one new thing about her complaints. This is how it was for women like her. So now she was no longer just one, just herself. She had sunk into the anonymity, the characterless plurality of being merely one of the women like her. This was history's lesson. Nothing for women like her to do but suffer, remember, and die. And that, that like, this is the the flip side of the coin of this being like a universal story is that it's a universal story mm-hmm. um and and what that might feel like for you as the person living with it and and grappling with whether or not it's unique sure um, and then uh, and then also like there are lots of maybe it's, it's it's in our part in in America certainly there are there's a precedent for like grappling with existing stories of faith and certainly even recently people are upset about them like i i don't know have you seen the film uh adaptation of last temptation of christ which was a book. i have no i've not seen that one. willem dafoe plays jesus um oh, no uh it was a book oh, in, no. it was a book i think <laughs> in 1960 and people were upset about it it was banned and and people don't like it and um there I mean, are plenty I'm of upset about it right now <laughs> there are plenty of instances where you know, Western cultures are, are similarly upset or, or traditionally Christian cultures are, are similarly upset about how their religions are portrayed. But this just like at when this happened, uh, the particular people in power at the time were very upset. And yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know if I buy all of Rusty's like I didn't set out to critique it because it does certainly feel like he's critiquing just how revelation informs religion but i, I yeah and i get i, I don't get, know i have a healthy respect for how he's doing it so sure I don't know. and that's i not having actually read the thing like all i can do is read about like what happened after and on the one hand to say something like oh i wish i'd written a more critical book <laughs> is is funny but also like there were bombings like it's like a guy died like this yeah. was not to not to say that he shouldn't have written it but just to say that there's a and not even to say that he doesn't treat it with the gravity that's appropriate because I've done like 45 minutes of research into this and <laughs> I am not like familiar with every position he's taken yes on it like over his entire life but yeah like most of the most of the books we read like if they 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 maybe have made critics mad or they've or they made fans mad or they've done something but well we've talked about i don't know, like, I don't know how many i don't yeah. know how many books we've read have been like directly responsible for people being murdered you know yes and that's a scary thing i just like said that out loud to laura and she just like couldn't she's like that's bad like that's just it's i think about it and it's spooky um and rushti has also talked he has written essays about like personally calling for reform in Muslim tradition so that like from his perspective, he wants you to be able to engage with these stories and, and uh, think about them critically because we tell them to each other for a reason um, and they're worth examining. Um, Yeah. And, and, and and it's, it's, it's both worth noting that this kind of thing still happens. Like there was the, all, I think the most, the the example most people will be familiar with is all the uh, Charlie Hebdo stuff. Yes. Yes. From a few years ago. And he came out Um, in strong support of Charlie Hebdo. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, But it's also worth noting that like, this is, this isn't Islam. Like you can't just take the, the reaction to this by like a faction of this religion to, to characterize the whole religion, which I think a lot of people do. And, and that's, and that's a, an, uh, unfortunately can be a self-fulfilling thing because a lot of the folks who were very mad at the book were they were upset about what it thought it was trying to do to get people to dislike islam right and yeah that's, sure. that's frustrating but i also like am very happy to live it in philadelphia which has a pretty robust muslim population and a pretty diverse one 
Um, yeah, and they're probably all out shooting fireworks off because of the eagles. Because <laughs> of right the now. eagles, <laughs> I know. So it's it's interesting, and and obviously we're talking about this book in a political moment today that where a lot of this stuff is very fraught. So yeah, I I'm glad I read it because I it it is an international incident tied to a book, and that seems worth knowing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll, we also just haven't talked about the experience of reading the book. It's a tough book. Like if you, I could see just not reading it because you're like, I, I'm done with run on sentences or this is too many commas, Mr. Rushdie. Like that's your choice. Also, I think from a like literary perspective, I, I certainly enjoyed it. Um, but it, I couldn't help but think about the controversy as I was reading it, which I, at this point, I, I don't know how you do that. Yeah, like I'm sure anybody, anybody who, anybody who picks it up, I think would, I don't, not like anybody, just like if you go into a bookstore and you pick it up, you would, you would necessarily absorb that. But I think it's, yeah, it's so intrinsic to discussion of the book that it would be hard not to be exposed to it if you were, you know, yeah, I don't know if you did any research at all. But yeah, it's. Yeah. So that's the book, I guess. I guess I got nothing else. That's all I got. You know, it's, I don't know as much about Islam as I would like to. Yeah, that's where I. That's also where I came out of as well. So, so that's if, a personal so if, if, challenge to myself. Yeah. If we do have um, Muslim listeners, well, of course we have Muslim listeners. But if if you listen and you're inclined to point us to resources for people who were raised in, like. American Protestant Christian traditions and would like to know more. I think I think we would both be receptive to reading some more about that. Yeah, and it's also on us to go out and seek that stuff out. But it, of course, yeah. But we can also like we have an audience, so we can just be like, "Hey, can you do this?" So we don't have to Google. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a good. That's a fun flipping attitude that you have. <laughs> sure. Great. Uh, if you want to send us anything, you can hit us up at overduepod at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter page, both at overduepod. I don't know what's going on with the Facebook algorithms, but like, share us, share our stuff with people because who knows what Zuckerberg's doing over there. Maybe you won't see our stuff if you don't share it. So thanks yeah. to folks. Don't get us who, marked as fake news, please. Please do not do that. Um, we are a trusted source of podcasts. Um, if you have been reaching out to us on social media, thank you very much. That includes folks in the last week responding to our secret episode. Shh. Kenneth, Laura, Shh. Uh, Amanda, Becky, Mary Eve, Laura Soros, Britt, Michael, Nora, Shh, Graham, Jess, Duke, Juliana, Chris, uh, Sarah, Leanne, Teresa, Rachel, Rebecca, Valerie, Whitney, Shh, Lucas, Terry, Stacy, Krista, Sean. Thank you. Shh. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show. Where should they go? Uh, it's a secret. I can't tell them. But you could tell me. Okay. Overduepodcast.com is our internet website destination. Can we still get an AOL keyword? Like, is it too late? Probably too late. Okay. (laughs) If you go to overduepodcast.com, we have links to iTunes, Google Play, RSS, all ways you can subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they drop on Mondays. Um, If you want to support us financially, you can visit our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash overduepod. Um, we are going to introduce a few new things to that page in the next few weeks, um, and we're excited to tell you about them. So stay tuned for that. Um, is there anything else? That what do you, you read next week, to? bud? What am I reading next week? I'm reading The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin, which I'm very excited about. Sounds good. It does sound good. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And until we see you next, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.